You're listening to Tech Versus Media with Richard Walpert. On today's episode of Tech Versus Media with John Scogmo, we will hear a true entrepreneur's journey from starting with less than $10,000 in an apartment to selling his business for more than $100 million. We're also going to hear about what is happening with television services, now really called OTT or AVOD or Fast Channels. We'll learn what all those are and how they play. Also, we'll learn how John has monetized and licensed the most viral video clips on the internet, including some you may have seen, Chewbacca Mom, The Pizza Rat in New York, all on today's episode of Tech Versus Media. The following program is brought to you in living color. We have a big show for you tonight. But there's one more little thing. Today, Apple is... You know that sound means we're here for another episode of Tech vs. Media live from the Kurt Co. Studios in Malibu, across the street from world-famous Nobu, but more near and dear to my heart, up the street from the chicken bucket. My name is Richard Wolford. I've been in tech and media for 36 years. Apple, Disney Online, four startups, venture capitalists, investor in over 100 companies, including the one our guest started today. Today's guest is John Scogmo. John is really an inventor in what has been the YouTube clip economy. He has started a company called Jukin Media. Jukin is known for many things you probably don't know they know, like the famous pizza rat video that you saw, the rat pulling that pizza up the stairs is one of many that John not just had on his network, but actually owns the rights to. And truly an innovator in what's happened with digital media since YouTube launched in early 2005, one of the first people to adopt YouTube as a platform. Recently sold the company for over $100 million, started the company with $10,000 in his apartment. John, you know, we start the uh, Tech First Media with Rapid Fire 10. First one, is it true that your business philosophy was inspired by Michael Jordan and one of his quotes in particular? Yeah. One that comes to mind is you, you miss every shot that you don't take. And I think that's true for any, any entrepreneur. Sure. Does your morning routine start with a workout, a meditation, or a warm-up? A little bit of everything, depending on the day. But I do like to wake up, don't look at any emails, and sit in silence. Got it. How old were you when you first used a video recorder, and what did you use it for? Oh, man, probably eight years old. I was just at my brother's wedding, and my cousins and I were just talking about how I used to force them to get in front of the camera, and we used to do these skits. Yeah, something probably with my family, forcing them to get in front of the camera. Got it. Were you a fan of America's Funniest Videos growing up? Not necessarily a fan, but I appreciated the genre. If you could do anything you wanted tomorrow, how would you spend your day? It would probably be on, on the water. Being on the water is uh, very relaxing to me. So something we share in common. Yep. At this stage of your career, what are you most looking forward to accomplishing in the future? Well, after being acquired by Trusted Media Brands, I'm excited to stay on, help grow that business, help do all the integrations that we need to do. Got it. Powerboat or sailboat? Powerboat. Okay. Even though sailors look down on you? Yep. Okay. Well, I, I, I look down on sailboats. Okay. Have you ever met Vin DeBona, the John Scogmo of old school TV clips? I have. The first time I met him was in China, actually. Interesting. Yeah, at a conference. All right. We might want to come And he back came up to, to me and he said, you are the competition. Interesting. And I didn't look at him in that way. 
traditional broadcast giants now finally fully embracing the digital era or still slow moving and behind? Finally embracing it. They have to. If you could have dinner with any three people alive or not, which three people would it be? Anthony Bourdain, Steven Spielberg. Okay. And not Michael Jordan. I, Michael Jordan is a good one. I could say Michael Jordan. Okay. Yeah, that would be cool. So you, Yeah, that's his competitiveness. You're feeling it. You're not just yeah. saying it because I said yeah. it. Yeah, no, no, you know what? And it's also three different folks Got it. who are masters in three different fields. Got it. So you started this company, Jukin Media, in 2011, I believe? Yeah. And I know the answer, but John, what the fuck does Jukin mean? <laughs> well, Jukin is a, we said I'm from Chicago, is a Chicago term. I don't know if everyone in Chicago knows it, but it was certainly a term around my friends where it means it's something lively, something happening. And you could say, is this party juking tonight? Okay. So just this year, you sold your company. You founded about 10, 11 years ago to Trusted Brands Media. We said for a little over $100 million. Today, Jukin has how many employees and how many offices, like as of the merger? And when was the merger? The merger was August 11th. Okay. Of yeah, 2021. 21. Yep. Mm-hmm. And as of that merger, tell me how big Jukin was in terms of people and offices, for yeah. example. So right before Jukin, we had nearly 300 employees headquartered in Los Angeles, offices also in New York, London, and New Delhi. With a combined entity, we're, we're nearly 800 employees. Got it. And I mentioned the Pizza Rat video because everybody knows it, but roughly how many clips does Jukin either own or have the licensing rights to? Up to 100,000 at this point. And give me like three, other than Pizza Rat, what are three of the most famous? Well, someone asked me what my favorite one is the other day. I think it's Buck Knocks the Rider that happened in Africa, where an African buck knocked this, this bicycle rider over. It's pretty incredible. He jumps up in the air. Okay. So it's got to be my favorite. And another favorite of mine is this poor 13-year-old at the time. Was, it's called Tor, Tori Burns Her Hair with a, an iron, which is uh, pretty crazy. Got and it. it just kind of falls off her head. What is the most famous, like what's the most well-known clip that people don't know that you own? Own, but you own. Pizza Rat is pretty up there. Sure. Tori burns her hair, like I said. But Chewbacca Mom is another pretty famous viral video that people yes. know. Yeah, probably Chewbacca Mom is probably one of the biggest ones. So here you built this basically digital media empire. You were smart enough early on to realize you didn't just want to show clips. You wanted to own those clips or have the licensing rights to those clips. You built this company. You sold it for over $100 million. We talked about how big it became. Let's go back to the beginning now. So you grew up in Chicago, which you already talked about. You mentioned how supportive, I've read how supportive your parents were of that passion. Can you give me an example of how they were supportive and how that helped you? Yeah. So I think as a kid, when I'm picking up my video camera, I'm just playing around with it and making movies with my cousins or in my backyard with my friends. I didn't realize you can make a career out of that. You know, no one in school taught me that, but my parents did, particularly my mother. Mm-hmm. who encouraged me to go out and kind of pursue this career and pr- pursue this dream. Um, but she was not from this industry. She was not from the industry, but I didn't know it really existed. And she was very supportive of that from a very young age, yeah. where, you know, most, I think, kids want to be a fireman or police officer or a veterinarian, whatever And she probably still had no idea you'd accomplish what you've accomplished. No, she, had no, so she didn't have a clue. No. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Chewbacca mom comes on and she's like, that's my sons. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Okay. Or any right. show on Good Morning America or yep. anything like that. And you any went to video. college in Chicago, right? That's right. Went to film school in Chicago. Yeah, Columbia College. 
And you knew you wanted to come to L.A. when you graduated. Is that correct? Yeah, I was very lucky to work on some really big films in Chicago that came by. I mean, obviously, Chicago is not Hollywood or New York. But at the time, they offered some really great tax credits to get Hollywood to start filming there. And I worked on my very first big budget. It was a huge big budget. It was Batman Begins, starring Christian Bale, directed by Christopher Nolan back in 2004. One of my favorite Batman yeah, movies. Great movie, yeah. Great movie. And so I had access to seeing, you know, Hollywood come to Chicago, and I thought, obviously, that was one of the kind of biggest movies at the time. And so just and having that do, exposure. What did you do on that movie? I was, I was an intern, and I worked in the extras casting department. So you were casting the people in the background that nobody notices. Exactly, yep. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to show No, that's exactly beginnings. what it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. It. Yeah. And then... You moved to L.A.? Yep. After I, I then got a job for this person, then worked on a few films, and then moved to L.A. Without a job? Without a job, yep. But you knew what you wanted to do. Yep. I knew I had to be here. And how did you find—I understand you work for a clip show, and if I read this right, one of your first jobs was going to the mailroom to get dozens or hundreds of videotapes and watch through them all mm-hmm. back when we had videotapes, right? Yep, yeah. And I, try and find something good. Was that one of your first jobs? I, I, one of my first jobs was actually, I was a uh, almost kind of a maid errand boy for the woman who created uh, Judge Judy. She was a producer for Judge Judy, and one of her friends that worked for that for Judge Judy went on to produce this clip show, be a producer on this clip show. That was only going to be a pilot. Got it. And they gave me this job, and my job essentially after the pilot was to go to the peel box every day and pick up VHS tapes and DVDs that people used to send in right. for a chance to be on the show. And right. my job was to go to the, the peel box and come back with these tapes. And I had these large VHS tapes and I had a VHS player on my desk and I had a monitor, a big monitor that was, you know, this big with this, this thick back there. And uh, for those listening, John made like a two foot by three foot motion you. with his arms. Yes. Forget and it. And it was a, not a flat screen. <laughs> no, it was not a flat screen. And I watched these really crappy videos that people would send in around America. And my job was to see if any of those videos were any good. And if they were any good, which only about 10% of them were, I had to read their handwriting that was on the VHS tape and call them up and say, hey, can you send in more footage? Or we need some more clearance paperwork. We want to use your show. We want to use your video for the show. Got it. And the next question is really important, especially for the entrepreneurs out there who are either afraid to start or just starting out. And as I understand it, you, you made the decision to quit the job you had, start what you thought would did end up becoming Jukin with somewhere between five and $10,000 from friends and family in your apartment. And if I read this right, John, you were giving yourself kind of six months to figure it out before you'd be like, oh, God, I need a job again. Is that true? Yeah. And I'll take a step back for sure. a moment. Yeah. So after I was clearing these videos the old school way, I became an early adopter of this platform that no one ever heard of before. And I told my producers, there's actually some really great content on this on this platform. And we should leverage this platform and help find and source content. And you're teasing me, but the platform is YouTube. The platform's called YouTube. Yeah. They and said, this is 2005. This is 2005. The producer says, shut up, Kiko, the P.O. Box. You don't know what you're talking about. Right. And just me being the person I am, I guess maybe the entrepreneur that was in me, I decided to just do it anyway and direct message people on this platform that no one ever heard of before. And, you know, direct messaging is so common now, but it was fairly new. But I was able to source videos faster than anyone. And I went around producing. Then, you know, after being so successful in this, I kind of made my, my name in myself for in this Hollywood small clip show world of uh, being a producer that was able to find and source content. 
And so I was able to build up teams and I went around town producing for True TV, Discovery, MTV for a handful of shows when, you know, one day I realized there's actually an opportunity here to curate some content. And so then I quit my job. And so I quit my job mainly because, A, I thought it might be a good idea. And it was. To, thank you. To curate these videos because I knew a lot of folks were using them. Right. But I was also really tired from producing TV shows, which I was producing, you know, working 12, 14 hour days uh, nonstop. I ended a job on a Friday, so a new job on a Monday, and I was able to work for many years straight. But I realized that there was a hole in the market. The videos that I kept, that I kept acquiring or licensing, I could use over and over again. I just called the same people. That someone needed to start curating the video, these videos, kind of like a Shutterstock or kind of like a Getty Images, and nobody was doing that, and no one really valued user-generated content. I knew the market. I knew what people were willing to pay for that content. And you saw a transformative way to do it on this quote new platform. Absolutely, to source content on, on on a digital platform where people were doing it in a very analog fashion. And I was around for all this, but I looked these dates up last night. YouTube was founded in February of 2005. Mm -hmm. And you got involved with YouTube in 2005. Yep. And probably 2005. shortly after it launched. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it was early. This was not the YouTube totally. everybody knows I was an today. early adopter. Yep. Mm -hmm. And people are like, what the F is YouTube, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And I saw value. And I saw the value that you could actually source content. Because it said, my brother did this, my cousin this, or I shot this. Because before that, there was a lot of websites that were that were kind of shady. It was mixed in with like softcore porn or it was guys lighting their crotches on fire and jumping off roofs. It was not like family-friendly content. And right. YouTube was actually really family-friendly content. Right. And we talk about this, the whole podcast is about tech versus media convergence or clash. This is a case where tech, a YouTube platform, enabled media. Enabled media, yep. And usurped in a way old forms if it, I doubt if many people under 35 watch America's Funniest Videos, right? right? They're mm -hmm. watching Fail Army. They're watching Pet Collective. Yep. They're watching the channels yep. that you've built. So it's a great example of how you literally live that convergence and yep. clash between the two. Yep. Is that fair? Absolutely. And when did you know? How long did it take? So I understand you started this $10,000. You're giving yourself six months. You started out of your apartment. I think yourself at first, and you hired one or two people. You had folding chairs. You didn't even have the IKEA table. It was table. as scrappy as a startup can get. It was in my apartment, people in my living room. My roommate moved out. I converted that room into an office. I was still in my bedroom. I was yelling down the hall for my assistant to help me or whoever. You and know. this is probably like a thousand square foot apartment, right? Yeah, it was like twelve hundred. Yeah, you were exactly. still yelling down the hall. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or yelling through the walls, whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. It was as scrappy and bootstrapped as one can get. Yeah. We had the house phone as the office phone. No cell phones. So we were using cell phones, but you know, we wanted you know, we wanted the operation to seem a lot bigger than it actually was. I see. And so you'd call the office and then we put hold music up to a speaker. And that's how you get to me. And what was the moment, either in that first six months or a year, where you felt like, holy shit, I'm right. I don't have to go back and be a producer for other people. I don't have to do those 14-hour days for other people. I'm sure you did plenty of 14-hour days at Juke, and you right. still do. How early in the arc of that did you realize this is going to work? Well, there's a difference, you know, be working for yourself and working for someone else. Those hours are totally different when you're doing it for yourself. They just fly by. I was down to my last few hundred bucks in the bank over the, that first, you know, I think maybe month five. Mm -hmm. And we were just having a cash flow problem. Sure. And didn't realize that, you know, I had some collections that I needed to do that I was pretty backed up on. 
And I got a, a fairly big check for like $30,000. And I thought, okay, maybe I'm onto something. Maybe I'm onto something. Maybe I can start hiring some more people. Even then, it probably wasn't 100% sure, but I told myself, I, I quit my job in the summer. And then it was like, let me do this till the fall. Fall became so, let me do this till the next year. And next year said, okay, maybe I have a business here. Maybe I should start reinvesting. And how old were you then, John? 27-ish. And you knew from the beginning that the value was in owning the clip. Yeah, so absolutely. So I think, you know, we were a licensing company. You know, we started off as a licensing company, like I said, like a, like a Shutterstock Getty Images for viral videos, user-generated content. But uh, they don't even own all their content. I knew one day I wanted to be a media company. And so the heart and blood and the pulse of any media company is the IP. And, you know, Disney has Marvel. They have Star Wars. Warner Brothers is DC. You know, Jukin has viral videos, user-generated content. And because you own the IP, you can monetize that IP over and over again. Right. So it was important for us to have that IP so we can maximize the monetization of that. Got it. And that's the 100,000 clips that you guys basically have yep. today. Yeah, some we have non-exclusive license with, and we represent some li other libraries. But for us to really maximize the value, we knew that we had owned the full rights. Got it. Tell me about your three biggest channels and how many subscribers you have for each. I remember being at a YouTube party with you when Fail Army hit 10 million subscribers. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. And yeah, how many does YouTube, Fail Army have today? Close to 50 million. So yeah. 50 million subscribers yeah. to that one channel. But remember, channel. that was the one, well, that's the one brand, I'll say. YouTube is pretty the, much the only game in town. Sure. Now that's evolved. Now we sure. have Facebook. Now we have TikTok. Yes. Now we have Instagram. Yes. So the combination of that is nearly 50 million at this point. Got it. Across yeah. all those. Yeah. It's actually probably even more than that. And, and given that you brought it up, what's your perspective on which is most important for you as a business today? You mentioned YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, anything with Snap? Snap, we do extremely well on. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. We built an incredible loyal audience. Are they and it's all important? Are they all not as important, but you're not wanting to piss anybody off, so you're not going to say which is less important? No, I think, listen, I don't mind pissing anybody off. Okay. I'm going to be Good. honest. Good. I, I think they're important in different ways. Different okay. platforms have different be benefits. Some so, work, they're just monetization platforms. Such as? Some, I would say YouTube. Okay. It's definitely about monetization, mm -hmm. but we've also been able to create a really great audience, a great community. Got it. Facebook, I think, is totally monetization. I think it might be our biggest audience, but the community means less to us there as that audience we can't get to. Where YouTube, we have a much more engaged audience. Snapchat is, is hugely engaged. TikTok, we're not monetizing directly, but we're building great content. We're programming great content and building great community there. Each platform we look at differently. We customize the content per platform. So I read something. I don't know if it's true or not, but you would know. In the last month, TikTok surpassed YouTube in terms of number of minutes viewed per day. Is That's that right. True? Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's true to what you know. We're seeing exponential growth on TikTok. It's a lot easier to get a million followers on TikTok than it is on YouTube. Why? Tell me why. Just where the audience is. That's where Gen Z is. The way that TikTok algorithm is, is much force feeding you as opposed to YouTube where you're actually searching for it. YouTube is now becoming even more of a lean back experience, I would say, where TikTok is definitely in your face and you can quickly engage with that content. Each platform is totally different. But listening to everything you just said, if I were you, I would interpret that as 
TikTok is going to be a bigger business for you in the future than YouTube is. It might be. Right now, we're not monetizing on, on TikTok. Right. We are talking to brands how we can do some brand integrations. Right. But right now, TikTok does not have a stable monetization platform that they're offering to their creators and publishers. I think that will definitely change one day because I know every advertiser wants to get in front of that audience. But there are people making money on TikTok today. Yes, that is, that is true. Yes, they're working directly with brands. So the people who have a brand, direct brand, creator with a direct brand relationship. Correct. Yep. And what's Jukin's role on TikTok? Well, Jukin, we have our channels, Fail Army, Pet Collective, Poke My Heart. People are awesome. So right now, we're leveraging that platform to help build our audience and build extensions of our audience and finding new fans. And maybe we'll send those folks on the, somewhere else. Maybe we can direct sell them something. You know, we're building community. We're leveraging these really, these awesome platforms that are free to build audience. And that's all happened in the last, we we're talking about TikTok, right? Isn't that an explosion over the last 24 months? It's crazy, especially during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, there's so, I think the, 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 the features on there are great. It's great engagement. I don't know if it's that great for our society, and that's a whole different issue. Sure. But surely it's a great platform to be a publisher on, particularly if you're trying to reach a Gen Z audience. Got it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more with John. John says he's willing to piss people off, and I ask him direct questions about NBC, ABC, CBS. Do they get it, or are their heads still in the sand? When we come back after this quick break. I often say on my show, I'm having discussions with the people that you know and the people that you should know. The same can be true of a law firm. One law firm you should know about, an LA-based law firm, is Stubbs Alderton Markleys. I've known Scott Alderton for almost 20 years, and I've used his firm for not only my personal work, but for HelloTech and other companies that I've been involved with. They specialize in technology and media, the topics that we discuss in the show. If you're looking for a law firm that will pay attention to you at a reasonable price, please reach out to Stubbs Alderton. You can send Scott an email. It's salderton at stubbsalderton.com. And if you need help spelling that email address, just go to the show notes for today's episode. There'll be a direct link you can click on to email Scott. I highly recommend Stubbs Alderton Markley's. Bullhorn brings to podcasting what color brought to television. It makes podcasting a rich, immersive experience. With Bullhorn, you don't just listen to shows, you interact with them. Bullhorn lets content creators share live videos, chat with the audience and take questions, post polls, take call-ins, share images, and more. If you want to experience what podcasting can be and should be, download the Bullhorn podcasting app today at bullhorn.fm. Stop listening. Start interacting. We're back from the break with John Scoglo, co-founder, CEO of Jukin Media, now chief creative officer for Trusted Brands Media. So let's talk about that a little bit, John. So this again goes to finishing off, the, not finishing off, but maybe a new chapter in the arc of your being an entrepreneur. As we said, you sold the company a little bit earlier this year, really just a few months ago, to Trusted Brand Medias for what was published to be north of $100 million. Also a disclaimer, you and I met in 2012. We met because of a person you brought on as a partner. Eventually, we became your co-CEO. That's correct. Lee Essner, great guy. Yep. And I thank Lee for our introduction. I remember I first met you at a Hollywood studio that was like a Hollywood WeWork. 
that was a piece of crap. <laughs> That's right. In yeah. like an office that was maybe half the size yeah. with maybe five or six desks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Good memory. 2012. Yep. Mm-hmm. You've really seen it grow. I've really seen it grow. You and I have spent a lot of time over that decade. And I've been impressed with how mature you are for your age and how insightful you are on the industry for your age. Oh, thank you. So I want to talk about that and where you see things going. But let's talk a little bit. What is trusted brands media, right? A lot of people who know viral videos, they certainly know your brands, Fail Army, Pet Collective. People are awesome. They may know Jukin Media. They don't know trusted brands media. Right. So talk about why, why you are interested in selling to a company like this. And it's really not just a company. It's really more of a private equity role at play, is it? Well, it's it's a company, you know, they're owned by they're owned by a hedge fund. Yes. But they're a profitable company. Their biggest property, Reader's Digest, has been is about to have their hundred year anniversary. But they're historically in the print publication business. But they want they know they have to be in the video business. And so how it makes perfect sense is that they're really we thought we're the ultimate user generated content curator when it comes to video. They're also the ultimate user generated content curator. But it's more in print fashion is that they get thousands of recipes submitted to them from their brand of Taste of Home. They get a lot of articles. They get a lot of pictures submitted to them. And so they've been doing this for, we just said, 90, 100 years at this point. Sure. And so it really makes a perfect match as they're really trying to invest into the future. We have a ton of video to monetize. And I think putting these two companies together, and I hate to use the word synergy because it's so overused, but there are so much synergistic opportunities here. And you look at their, they have one piece of the puzzle. We have another piece of the puzzle. You put these pieces together, it creates this great horizon. And so they're investing in the future and we're super excited about it. The, I think the other big interest that they took in us is our investment in the last few years in OTT. Right. In the fast channels. Right. So just 30 seconds, explain to somebody who doesn't know what's an OTT. Yeah. So it's over the top television and fast channels is standing for what we're investing in is more that, which was once called AVOD is now moved on to the fast channels, which is free advertising. And so we have taken our digital properties and now have moved that onto these different platforms, platforms like Pluto, Samsung Plus, Roku, folks that are streaming kind of these 24-7 linear channels, not in a subscription business, but in an advertising business. And so we've been investing in there in the last few years. When I was a kid, we had, I think it was seven or eight channels. CBS, NBC, ABC were the big ones. Fox didn't exist yet. They were linear channels paid by advertising. And then isn't it crazy how everything comes full circle, right? You can start it with on-demand clips. Now you talk about fast channels or totally. ABOD, right? Yeah. You're creating a linear channel. That we have to air 24-7. 24-7 mm-hmm. for people to sit back and watch. Yep. We started at short-form content, and now we're creating 30- and 60-minute shows. And talk about, like, old programming methods. Where yes. are you applying that to these kind of new platforms where we're doing cross-promotion, we're doing day-parting, we are doing marathons, we are turning our 30-second videos into 30-minute programs, 60-minute programs. And how many channels, linear channels or fast channels do you have? So we have People Are Awesome, Fail Army, Pet Collective, and Weather Spy. And if you looked at the Jukin business that you started, I know that you're responsible for more now with trusted brands, but if you look at that in two to three years, is more of your revenue coming from these linear fast channels or from the on-demand social? We think there's huge, op- oh, in all those areas. So, okay. But which one do you think will be bigger? The fast channels. You do? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. isn't that ironic in a way? It is. It, it comes full circle. We just talked about, yeah. you know, I think 
I think one problem is we all have so many subscriptions. Yeah. People have subscription fatigue. I certainly do myself. Sure, we do. I don't even know what I'm paying for anymore. So I think free and advertising is always going to have a space in the in, in the platforms. People are always going to want free content. They're, they don't mind ads. Ads are getting smarter. We're able to sell those ads programmatically. We are going to take some of our trusted media brands, Reader's Digest, Taste of Home, Family Handyman, and it is a pro- huge priority for us to bring those into the OTT world. Got it. So we talked earlier about how things evolve. I asked you if the traditional broadcast companies were finally getting it, and you're saying they have to. And I said, do they are they doing it because they have to, or are they doing it because they know it's the right thing to do, and do they understand it? When I look at these fast channels, I don't see CBS, I don't see NBC, I don't see ABC, I don't see Fox. Do they still have their heads in their sand with this stuff? Are they missing out on what you have figured out in this last decade of where things are going? Are they not able to move as fast as they need to? This is the whole purpose of this podcast, right? Are these old companies that have been around for 50, 70, 80 years, are they able to do this or is it just impossible because there's so much infrastructure and old ways of thinking? Well, I think first we're going to see a lot more consolidation. And I think you're seeing that right now, whether these companies buying folks in the content play or in the platform play, you see CBS, you see Viacom buying Pluto, you saw Fox buying Tubi. So they are making investments. They might not have their programming there. Wasn't one of the first DreamWorks buying awesomeness like five years ago? Right, right. Yeah, but it was a content play, right? Because it really did start the wave of traditional media companies looking at these digital assets. I, mean, for, I think that was probably the first one in the space at the time. Sure. Then you saw Disney with Maker. You saw Warner and Fullscreen. So you right. definitely saw this kind of, this effect of, of these traditional media companies looking at these, I would say, next-gen digital media companies. So let's give them credit for the fact that they're making these acquisitions. But the fact is they weren't they don't seem to have been able to do it themselves. Well, also, I think post-acquisitions, and we talked about, we alluded a little bit at, uh, yes. earlier, they've yep. not been successful. They've not been able to put into their playbook. Why? It, I think it does come back to that, that old school thinking of where the money is coming in and not giving some of these investments a chance, and not giving the real investment a chance. But one of the things that shocks me, John, is if I was in the media business, video business, right? At this point in time, we saw what happened with music. We saw what happened to the people who didn't adopt. They didn't make out very well. And then we look at traditional movies, right, with Netflix and everybody that's popular now. And we saw who didn't adopt, and we saw how it didn't work out. So if I'm a linear broadcast channel, CBS, ABC, NBC, you said you're not afraid of pissing anybody off. Why? Why don't they look at history? Why don't they look at these lessons? Why don't they look at your success? Why don't they look at Vindabona in 2015 telling you you're the competition and realize they just need to do this? Why not? I think it does come back to that these companies are set in their ways. They have the classic innovator's dilemma where they have revenue coming from here. It's not coming from here. I think Netflix is a perfect example of having their innovator's dilemma when all their money was coming from the mail, sending your video into the mail and paying that subscription service and moving on to streaming. I think they rolled that out really back in what year was that, 2012? But we're talking about a 20-year-old company that's evolved. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the 70 and 80-year-old companies that just haven't. Sure. Isn't that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a question. I don't mean to put you in a difficult spot, but sometimes it's fun. <laughs> so you were bought by Trusted Brands Media. Let's pretend you had the exact same offer financially 
from either ABC, CBS, NBC, or Fox. Would you have chosen trusted brand media over those traditional broadcast networks? Yes, I still would have gone with trusted media brands. And I'll tell you why, because in a lot of ways, they're almost like a startup too. Even though they have been around for many years and they changed ownership a few times, I think their intuition and the areas that they want to invest in, they're... They know that the print media business is dying. Listen, there's no secret there, but they're willing to invest it, invest into buying a company like Jukin and give us the resources. And so the last few months, the last three months have only been about the integration and how do we continue to invest in content, invest in our sales team, invest in our programming team. They're 100% behind us. And I don't think I would be able to get that from some of the traditional media companies. And don't you think on linear television today, One of the things that confuses me, John, maybe you understand it better than I do. Shouldn't this traditional 30-second commercial on linear TV kind of be dead? It's crazy that it's still there, right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People skip over it. I don't watch them. Yeah. I don't understand why the CPMs are still so high. Right. That's my problem with it. Why are the CPMs so high for for that content? You know, when I was at Apple, one of the things they said was nobody would get fired at the time for buying IBM computers. Right. But they might for buying Apple computers. Right. And I think that's true in this industry. Totally. Right? If you're at American Express, nobody's going to question you for buying a 30-second spot on a t- popular TV show. Right. But if you say you're going to take that amount of money and put it on Fail Army, right. you're now putting your job on the line. Right. But it's the right thing to do. Totally. And it just doesn't Especially happen. Especially you're trying to reach that audience. Yeah. Especially trying to engage that in, with that audience. Right. Well, I think what's what one thing what's so attractive about OTT and our fast channels is that it's similar buying, it's similar, the 30-second commercial, the 60-second commercial is what they're used to. Right. And so that's why I think we're seeing a lot of success right now in the OTT market, because some of those dollars are now shifting. It's more familiar to them. Exactly. Got it. If you look out at the next one or two years, not Jukin or Trust, is it Trusted Media Brands? Am mm-hmm. I saying it right? You're saying these people really get it. They get that this is the future. They get that they needed to move into it. They get that they couldn't do it on their own. And they're truly embracing and integrating you. And that's going to make them different. That's going to make you successful in this new role. Absolutely. I'm convinced we're going to be a billion-dollar company in the next two years. Or more. Or more. You already did $100 million. Yep. Billions the next they're, small they're step. You're going to be it, yep. $10 billion, John. Yep, exactly. Okay. So – what is the technology or industry or space? We talked about TikTok a little bit. We talked about Snap. We talked about those. What do you think is the most sort of greenfield, open opportunity that's really going to change things for the industry you're in over the next two to three years? Well, I don't think there's going to be that drastic of a change, but I do feel like brands and, and having the audience and owning your audience is going to be a lot more valuable. I think it's so important to continue to build community. I think that's why there actually has been some really great digital media companies that they're successful because they built really a big brand. I'm not a big fan of Barstool's sports, but I very much respect the audience that they've built, the way they've been able to monetize that audience, the way they have diversification in their revenue. It's not just coming from ads. I think half their revenue is coming from commerce. It's coming from events. And I think people are going to continue to follow brands and it's going to make these brands more popular. So when you talk about brands, are you talking about Procter & Gamble, American Express, or are you talking about Fail Army and Pet Collective and some of the creators that are developing great brands themselves? Well, I'm talking about content brands. And I, and just to be clear, I don't think that's mutually exclusive to a commerce brand that is also selling commerce digitally. 
and not just in the brick and mortar retail stores. I do feel like brands need to get more into content. They need to communicate with their audience better. They need to gauge with their audience better. Better. They need to do that in a real-time fashion. There's all these platforms. You can be engaging with your audience in real time. And I think the best way to reach some of these audiences is through content. And so this affinity that you have with your consumer is going to be a lot more valuable in the future. And so the companies that continue to be first movers on these platforms, to adapt to these platforms and continue to evolve, those are the companies that are going to continue to win. What you're talking about, though, is enabled by the internet, right? Yep. There's a direct relationship. You know who the person is. You can communicate with them. You can have an ongoing relationship with them. And this is where I think technology has created this both convergence and clash in the sector you're in. Don't you agree? Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the clash happens first. Sure, totally. And now we're hoping to get to convergence with these brands and these networks over the next five to 10 years. Is that fair? Well, I think the companies that really lean into the technology, those are the ones obviously succeed. I think the ones that are always pulling back and, and digging their heels in, you know, they're late to the game. Technology's always going to win. So you just answered my last question, which is, <laughs> is it a convergence or clash and which do you think wins? Yeah, it's a convergence. Yeah. But you think the technology wins ultimately? Yeah, mm -hmm, absolutely. You can't, you can't go against technology. Yeah. Well, thank you, John, for coming today. It's been great. Obviously, I know a lot about Jukin. I know your passion and vision for this industry. I think you're a leader in this industry. I know you're on the Producers Guild. I think you're the vice chairman of the video committee. That's correct. Of the yeah. Producers mm -hmm. Guild, which just shows that they even understand <laughs> that this is important. So I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day with your new job thank and you sharing not just about Dukin, but your perspective on Snap and TikTok and what's happening with OTT and fast channels and your linear channels and how it's all coming full circle. And yet it's still taking the giants a little bit more time than it should to adopt. So thank you for coming. Thank you, the listener, for listening to this episode, especially if you're still listening here at the end of the episode. I hope you learned something. That's my goal with every single episode. Here are my final thoughts. So listening to today's episode with John reminded me of something that I already knew, but sometimes you have to hear things again many times. And sometimes when you hear them through somebody else's eyes, even if it's a lesson you learn, it's like you're learning it again for the first time. And that happened today with me listening to John, the risks he took moving to Los Angeles without a job because he thought this was the right place to be. Starting with less than $10,000 and having a regular phone in the office so they looked bigger than they were. Almost running out of money and quitting six months in before he got that $30,000 check that kept him going to the point where he's now sold for more than $100 million. I remember an experience like that. I had my very first company after our software. We're talking about a long time ago. I started in 1987. It was a consulting company for three years and I wanted it to become a publishing company. And we built a product called Touchbase. Internally, it was just called GroupDex. We used it. It was a contact sharing database. I budgeted $100,000, which to me at the time, 1989, seemed like all the money in the world. We barely had it as a company. And that was enough to launch the product, get Guy Kawasaki to be our spokesperson, to go to Macworld and see if anybody cared. And we were pretty much out of money at that point at that trade show at Macworld 1988. And we sold 762 copies of Touchbase, which was a blow away success for us. I actually have the box with that number on it. And everybody that was in the company signed the box. I have that memento today. It was the thing that kept me going, like John getting that $30,000 check, it kept him going. And you entrepreneurs have to look for those moments. 
You're going to have so many moments where you feel like giving up. You're going to have so many moments where you think, why did I quit my good paying job? You're going to have so many moments where you feel like maybe people aren't going to get it. And one of the things we say as an investor, when you're investing in a CEO, somebody who has to be able to walk through a brick wall over and over and over again, and just be tenacious and relentless and persistent, as long as you're making progress, do not give up. John learned that lesson. It reminded me of a lesson I had. It's probably a lesson many of you are having. And I hope that you take this. And when you run into that brick wall sometime in the next year, you do not stop. You push through it. And I hope that today's episode helped. One of my favorite sayings is, show me you love me. Don't tell me you love me. And what I mean by that is words are easy, but action is hard. And if you want to show true impact and intent, action is important. One of the firms I'm very proud to be associated with, a venture capital firm called A-Crew Capital, A-C-R-E-W Capital.com, was founded by five people, only one of which was a white male, which is extremely rare in the venture capital industry. They are extremely focused on backing female CEOs, people of color, transgender. They put their words into action. And if you're interested in working with a VC firm that's truly focused on diversity and shows it with their action, not just their words, I highly recommend A Crew Capital. Again, that's acrewcapital.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, and especially if you learned something, please leave us a review. It really, really helps. It really does make a difference. And even better, if you enjoyed it, follow it. We have so many great guests coming up. And the show would not be possible without the help of many, many people. AJ Mosley, my producer, Ness Sabadoff-Smith, the audio engineer, John Scogmo, of course, for coming in, my chief of staff, Lily Ramadi, who does a lot of help for me, creating notes and, and questions, even though I've known John for a decade, I, she came up with some stuff I did not know. And the entire team at Kurtco, who helps produce and get this podcast out there in the world. Thank you very much. I'm Richard Walpert. Goodbye. From Kirkco Media, media for your mind.